Today on the Topping Show, Trump mugshot creates record fundraising amounts. Bud Light NFL Sunday ticket tweet fails. Nordstrom closes their San Francisco store after 35 years. Anheuser-Busch donating water tweet mostly evaporates. Amazon Prime and Netflix choose not to host Sound of Freedom. The state of California is suing in an attempt to block parents from being told what their t- children are doing at school with regard to transitioning. Texas passes a special registration for electric vehicles. The DOJ is suing Elon Musk for not breaking the law and by hiring refugees. Mitsubishi has a truck with three pebbles, but not for the United States. Rolex to buy Butcher to enter retail for the first time. Thermonix is moving to Texas. HP printer lawsuit is moving forward. And 3M is on track for the largest payout in tort history at $5.5 billion. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Guys, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner and need those assistance, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Mitsubishi coming out with a truck with three pedals, but Unfortunately, alas, it is not for North America. Now, the Mitsubishi Triton features a turbo diesel engine with between 243 and 347 foot-pound of torque and offered with a six-speed manual transmission, four-wheel drive system, and also includes two-speed transfer case and a center-limited slip differential. Now, Mitsubishi actually left the United States market for trucks back in 2009 after the demise of the Dodge Dakota, where they basically just rebadged it and made a Mitsubishi Raider. Now, Oddly enough, Mitsubishi actually remains a large player for midsize trucks over across the pond. And past generations has all been the trench on. It's been a staple, apparently, the Southeast Asian markets. But we don't get that here, partially because of a myriad of specific taxes and tariffs when it comes to trucks coming into the United States. But it's sorely disappointing since the United States, there's only one truck with three pedals these days, which is a good truck, was the good old Toyota Tacoma. So it's a little bit of smaller, it's a lightweight duty truck, but that's the only option we have in North America for a truck that's actually fun to drive. How ridiculous. How, how disappointing is that? We just, we just can't have nice things apparently. But it is also fascinating to know that Mitsubishi is actually growing in other parts of the globe. And granted, the parent company, you know, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, a large conglomerate, they're hugely diversified. A lot of people in the U.S. don't realize how vastly just huge they are. But in the U.S., they kind of kind of leveled off after the Lancer Evo, after that demise. It's like, eh. And now they're going to bring it back to the Eclipse as a SUV crossover, which it's almost like these automotive companies are addicted to butchering their old products by taking those glorious names from legendary vehicles and using them for mediocre rudimentary SUVs, crossovers, and EV vehicles. It's quite disappointing to say the least. I hope... Hopefully someday we'll get the manual transmission for trucks in the United States again. The last that I know of, and correct me in the comments, was Dodge, where they had a couple of their their trucks you could actually get with three pedals. But long gone in the days we can get a Chevy or a Ford F-150, 250, 350, 450, whatever trim level you want, with three, three pedals, as all trucks should have. But fascinating to see there is some hope for the manual transmission globally. Hopefully those sales increase. Maybe the laws change in the U.S. so it's much easier to import trucks. It'll be interesting to see, but I always say time shall tell. 
Other interesting business news, you have Rolex buying Butcherer and entering the retail for the first time. Now, granted, this also perhaps shows how unclassy or perhaps my lack of experience with the brands were, I don't even know that's how you pronounce it, Butcherer, Butcherer. Needless to say, their marketing gets an F minus because it's not really intuitive to pronounce. Now, Rolex on the other hand, everyone knows Rolex. They've been around since the dawn of time or so it seems. They're actually established back in 1908, which I know United States test scores at an all-time low. So we'll do a little bit of math here today. That is precisely 118 years ago. And it was also founded by Hans Wildorf as well as Alfred Davis. And ironically enough, like a lot of these brands, they used to be considered entry level. They used to be considered a very durable, kind of like a utilitarian product. You see the same thing with Ray-Bans. Ray-Bans used to be dirt cheap and you're more of a utility thing. They got a couple of military contracts throughout the years, same with Rolex. And of course now everything, pretty much every brand for glasses is owned by one giant foreign company. So now, you know, those glasses are now, you know, what is it, like 200 bucks plus? Don't get me wrong, they're great glasses, but it's fascinating to see what today's luxury, yesterday used to be much more of a utilitarian thing. In fact, most Rolex's old commercials and promos are about people using them in athletics, you know, going all over the globe, literally. And perhaps one of the most iconic images is of James Cameron, the director, having his Rolex, I forget what model it is, but he goes all the way down to the lowest point of the ocean. Now, going back to the relevant, now I know the little background of Rolex, and obviously you can tell I'm quite classy. I have a, a Garmin, actually got for free, the best ROI on the planet. This Garmin's like, what? Shoot, it's probably nine years old? Still works like a charm. And ironically, actually more accurate than Rolex, since Rolex is a mechanical movement, but I digress. In terms of Rolex buying Butcher, Butcher is actually a major retailer and vendor of high-end products. They've been in business for 135 years and they own 36 brick and mortar locations across the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Austria, and Denmark. And of course, you have its main market of Switzerland. From a business perspective, it's fascinating to see Rolex where for most of their history, they've been the producer of the product. They didn't really sell them. They always use you know, brick and mortar stores, third party, they had Rolex authorized stores, very similar to a car dealership where if you go buy a Chevy at a Chevy dealership, well, General Motors doesn't own that. It's basically a licensing agreement where a mom and pop shop or a business will pay General Motors a licensing fee to be a dealership, an authorized dealer, so to say. Very similar to watches. Now, I can't help but think, and I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory with the, maybe the market fixing itself or the market being fixed, but I can't help but notice the past 36, well, let's say 24 months especially, the watch market has gotten astronomically expensive. People are buying watches just to flip them now. It's a whole industry now more than ever. And it's just more and more people diving into that category. And I think Rolex kind of noticed, hey, we're making the product, but people are sometimes doubling or tripling their money just by selling it. They're not customizing it or doing anything to increase the value. But if they own the store butcher now, they'd be able to partake in that increase in the revenue share and charge what is rudimentally known as the market market going rate, I think is a popular term. So it'll be interesting to see, does this increase the cost of Rolexes? Do they just, at the end of the day, get to take more capital home? From a mechanical engineering perspective, it is fascinating. Rolex is one of the very few companies on the planet where they actually make every single component in-house. And I believe they actually own some of the foundries that create the raw material for the metals. So they ingest raw material in terms of metals and they pump out works of art, handmade, obviously, fancy. Hard to beat a submariner or submariner. 
They look really cool and fancy. One of these days, perhaps. But, as I said, it'll be interesting to see where Rolex goes from here, but it's a pretty, pretty good bet they'll be around for quite some time, of course. But I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting businesses, you have Thermonox moving their headquarters to Texas. Now, they're actually, and I don't know this, a kitchen appliance manufacturer with their yearly revenue about $30 million. And they use a direct sales model through in-home tactile cooking experiences hosted by independent sales consultants via e-commerce. And they claim the brand is used by in more than 11 million kitchens worldwide, which now that I think about it, isn't too crazy since, I mean, how many kitchens, kitchens are there around the planet? And they only have about 8 million or no, 11 million. That's, that's not too, that's not, that's not too big. That is greater than zero. Now it looks like they said they quote, we are excited to root ourselves in the rich tapestries of Texas, feel our long-term future and heat up the appreciation for the world of home cooking in new and exciting ways. Unquote. This is from their CEO, Frank Lundquist. And of course they have a, as a, his last name might sound, they have a giant parent company over in Germany, which is I believe valued in the trillions. Of course, this is yet perhaps example 9,998,735 of business moving from California to the land of the free, also known as Texas. I might be a little biased, but can't help but notice every business seems to move away from California to Texas. It's, golly, it's, it's almost as if companies like having a low cost of living and doing what's best for their employees. Well, other places change? I, I, I doubt it at this point, but we'll see. Other interesting businesses, you have Hewlett Packard class action lawsuit for disabled printers. It appears it is actually moving forward. Now, this is actually especially fascinating when I consider you go on LinkedIn and a lot of these tech companies, you really never see a lot of negative news. Like I didn't see this article on LinkedIn, which perhaps is because maybe Microsoft is a big HP shop. And of course you have to delineate HP printers is Hewlett Packard, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. That's the company that got all the traditional data center stuff. So like servers, storage, networking, wireless access points, those are all on the HPE business, which is legally a whole separate entity formed back in 2000, I believe, was it 16 back in the day? But HP Inc., the one that consumers mainly know, the laptops, printers, that's an entirely different company, still headquartered out of California for now. And it looks like they've gotten in a little hot water. Now, the plaintiffs say that HP all-in-one printers, they actually won't scan or fax if they're low on ink and I'm, uh, you might be thinking, wait a minute, why the hell would you need ink to fax something or to scan something or copy something? Well, it's it exactly right. You don't need it for that. It seems like it's literally just to force you to buy more ink, which is one of the most expensive legal substances on the planet. It is quite literally thousands of dollars per gallon if you were to get a gallon of ink. And it looks like they claim that printer ink can ex exceed $80 an ounce. And it's more expensive than pretty much everything. They say, you know, silver, caviar, champagne. Now, a federal, specifically, this is from the Courthouse News Service. They go and dive in. They say, let's see, a federal judge in North California on Thursday advanced, last Thursday, advanced a class action lawsuit against HP over its all-in-one printers. And they specified a couple plaintiffs that they were unable to use any of the other functions when their printer ink was low. Now, it looks like the first version of the lawsuit was filed back in June 2022. 
and did not include a reason for the apparent design flaw. So it seems like now they're starting to realize, well, perhaps they just use this to disable it. And I apologize if um, there's any issues with the autofocus. I'm trying a new software out. And for the life of me, I can barely tell if it's in focus these days, at least during production. So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully this works. I don't know. I always, there we go. Now it moved around. I noticed it moved up and down. So we'll see. Hopefully the focus is working better today than it was last time. But as I say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light trying to tweet again, and of course, they, they, they fail epically. Now, this specifically is their situation where they're actually giving tickets away, and apparently, they just can't give them away. They're, now, keep in mind, most of these are like Saints tickets. So, this is a tweet where they had the whole, all the Saints, and I can't help but feel bad for the Saints. I don't know if they... This is probably a really long ago contract that they negotiated. And now all of a sudden they have to work with them still. So it was a commercial where you have a bunch of people in um, Saints, and apparently they have a football team, and all the Saints swag, uh, swags, they got hats, jerseys, all that crap. And in five, all these statistics are from the first five hours of the tweet. And in five hours, the tweet only got 38.6 thousand views and 125 likes, which Again, not even the people working at Bud Light are liking it, apparently. That's 0.32% of people like it. Now, I can only see this because I use my business profile account to actually see the account of Bud Light because they blocked me because I had the audacity of having a reply reminder saying when they said, like, oh, yeah, it's time to buy Bud Light. I responded with a case of Yaling Light and Yaling Regular with an American flag behind it saying, hey, thanks for the reminder. I just I, I need to go buy, buy this. And apparently that hurt their feelings, although still not as bad as censoring my YouTube videos as I can't notice the only time that I have YouTube videos with the comments disabled. One, ironically, is when I criticize YouTube for disabling more contents and disab disabling ad blockers. And two is like one or two Bud Light videos where I had Bud Light in the title and I critiqued the company. And even more ironic is when I had a video specifically talking about the video that was censored that had the subject of Bud Light. Hilarious. Yes. Coincidence, I don't think so. Now, Rich Mooney is a really popular replier to these Bud Light tweets. He does his usual poll where he said, hey, what are you going to buy this weekend? Are you going to get a Bud Light or are you going to get an Anheuser-Busch InBev product? He got 72 votes and 92% said no Anheuser-Busch InBev. And then they censored that. So it looks like Bud Light's getting really censored. They're going after everyone. Now, Rich Mooney also to the same tweet he brought up an article where the CEO of InBev, so the parent company, the giant company, they're saying how they, they, they see the consumer preferences. They had that poll recently. So they think people are coming back. And he said they're very much delusional that CEO is out of touch because, of course, he is. Now, that comment by Rich Mooney got 1,709 views and 46 likes, giving you a good old 2.7% like ratio. So needless to say, it seems no matter how much they try to tweet, the fans just won't let it stop. It is, it'll be interesting to see where do they choose in terms of, do they just keep going forward or do they learn and maybe hire someone else for marketing or sell back? I don't know how they'll recover, but let me know if you think they can. Other interesting cultural news, you have San Francisco, clo or Nordstrom rather, closing their San Francisco store after it was there for 35 years. Wow. Now Nordstrom said, quote, 
Dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have changed dramatically over the past years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and the ability to operate successfully, unquote. That is perhaps the nicest, most politically way, correct way of saying your, your, your area sucks because they're not prosecuting criminals. It is basically the Wild West. Well, I would say actually worse because they actually prosecute the good guys in California. And just a couple weeks ago, that same store had $100,000 of merchandise just stolen by a bunch of guys in black hoodies. And they actually came in with bear mace. They maced the security guard and they stole $100,000 of inventory. Which I guess was pretty... Maybe that was kind of them because now they don't have to move as much stuff. That's sarcasm, folks. It is impossible to run business there. And they used to be the anchor store of the mall. Now, in terms of the mall, it looks like the San Francisco Center has taken a significant hit. The sales plunged from 240 or $455 million in 2019 to $298 million in 2022. And foot traffic went down from 9.7 million visits, in million visits in 2019 to 5.6 million in 2022. This is according to that mall operator, Westfield, who recently said they're going to abandon it because they just can't make a profit. Which... I can't imagine things getting better, but the only retailer on the audacity to move to San Francisco in the past year was Ikea. Now, granted, maybe it's because the people who steal are usually too lazy to assemble furniture. That, that could be a theory, but I don't know who that store might be for. I mean, who's moving to San Francisco these days? No one. Businesses are leaving in droves and you get what you vote for. They voted to it used to be a felony to steal stuff in California. Now they said, if you steal anything below $950, it is now categorized as a misdemeanor. And of course, when you're prosecuted by the state, more often than not, it's a negotiation where they'll basically, they'll decrease the charge just to get a plea. So it doesn't have to go to court. So, you take, so it's typically you save time and resources. So because it's already a misdemeanor, they're gonna kick that down or just not prosecute it at all. So they're getting exactly what, I wa what they wanted. I can't help but feel Maybe they'll change their mind in the future somehow. But right now it's like a black hole and I don't see any businesses taking the risk of moving there anytime soon. But that's just that's just me. That's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but had increased to three cents. Should be four, really, with hyper all this hyperinflation. But I'm a nice guy, so we'll do three cents it is. Though it is still free to click that subscribe button and it is much appreciated. Other interesting cultural news, you have Anheuser-Busch tweeting and bragging that they're donating water, but that tweet basically evaporated into nothing. Now, these statistics are all taken place, are all taken for the first 10 hours of it being posted. So at the 10th hour mark, I made all these, I measured all these. And your eyes are, thankfully, they will not be hurt today. Well, besides the usual beautiful things you get to see, but there's a little one minute video they put here. Go ahead and play that really quick and we'll analyze it. Most days we brew beer, but today? Not these days, because again, they've lost about, what is it, 30% of their sales? So these days, uh, they don't do that too much. In fact, you would say they would do it 30% less. We're canning water. Canning water. Water for when disaster strikes. For the next? Disaster strikes, so, well, I mean, their marketing has been a disaster, so. In theory, they should probably just sell this to try to recoup that loss. They won't, but... Hurricane! For the next tornado. For the next flood. For the next shortage. I feel bad. There's a guy who actually... So this is Anheuser-Busch, the parent company. There's a guy in the commercial, and 
he literally had to wear a Bud Light like uniform. But like, oh, that, that, ow, that's, that's got to hurt. How, how does he go and have a drink with his friends after that? I don't know. He'll have new friends, perhaps. For volunteer firefighters. For the American Red Cross. For people who need it. Whoever they are. Whoever they are. It's pretty transphobic. I don't see a single person dancing in this video. Will they be boycotted by them this week? There's not a single provocative dancer for our children. They're going to get boycotted. I got some text, on, sappy text on the screen. So it says, we've delivered more than 90 million cans of emergency drinking water since 1988. Okay. That's who we are. That's their grammar is not the best. Then on the screen it says, "That's who we are. That's who you were. You're not them anymore. No one respects this company hardly. They've just lost all their credibility. And again, it's also one of those things where there are many reasons businesses do philanthropic activities like that." It's good PR, but it's also a tax write-off too, which there's a mis there's a kind of misinformation when it comes to people's understanding. Just because it's tax write-off doesn't mean you have to you didn't have to generate the money to get there because you're still spending money on that. So a little bit of misinformation in that regard, but it looks like pretty much most of the responses were just ratioing it. So you had Rich Mooney again saying, "quote If you hand if you lend a handout of genuine concern, don't brag about don't brag about how much of a good person you are." So basically saying, hey, um, you really don't. Now, in this, I almost wouldn't, I don't critique them as terribly. Don't get me wrong, it's still a terrible commercial, but pretty much every company that does donations likes to brag about it just because it is marketing mostly for them. I, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's a couple of businesses that have, that have really authentic stances on certain things and they do want to actually do good. But I would say there, a lot of times it is, it is also marketing. Now, a second response from Rich Mooney is actually a graphic of a guy pulling someone up and it said, quote, if you're helping someone and expecting something in return, you're doing business, not kindness, unquote. Now, that got 323 views and 10 likes. That's a 3.1% like ratio, which is quite good. And it just goes to show you, it's not letting up in terms of the critique. And the only comments that aren't like negative are the ones saying like your rebate, your rebate's not working. This one actually just says your most pathetic post yet. That got two likes. And they're also hiding more and more of these comments. They are ramping up the censorship like no tomorrow. A couple of these people's, oh yeah, this guy says, says still nope. Another one says America still hates you. Another one says, let me see here. Is Dylan passing out water in reference to Dylan Mulvaney who helped them lose about, what is it, $28 billion in stock evaluation and $400 million in sales lost, which is an achievement in and of itself. Another one says, you are trans supporters. I'm not getting behind that. I mean, 
I'm not seeing a single person. There's one, wait, there's one. Allison Murray, Mary Knox said, uh, thanks for all you do. I wonder what she... Let me see here. And she is... Exclude. So she looks like she's a leftist. So someone who is very much politically on the left side of the political aisle. And in ter again, in terms of the Bud Light situation, they did gain a little support from that side of the political aisle. They also kind of ostracized some of them as well because they didn't stick by Dylan Mulvaney. Um, that was the words of actually a bar operator out of headquartered out of Chicago. They had four gay bars in Chicago, which actually now I think about it, I'm surprised there's not more. Well, that's just the one company, nevertheless. But they said because Bud Light didn't stick up for Dylan, they're dropping all of the Anheuser-Busch products from their uh, bars. So you also have people on the left boycotting the company as well. I don't see the throttle being let up anytime soon for this boycott, but let me know if you think, are, are these tweets helping yet? Are they actually helping the company's image? I don't think so, but that's just me. Other interesting cultural news, you have Amazon Prime and Netflix banning Sound of Freedom, which, of course, I mean, why, why have a movie that makes a profit when you could just censor it? Now, it looks like they had a budget of $15 million to make Sound of Freedom, and it made about $181 million at the box office. So one of the few movies this year that actually made a profit, which in Hollywood basically doesn't happen. This is an independent studio. And the movie was about saving children. Um, trying to think, if you have kids listening, earmuffs or um, remove them from the room. But it's one of the... It's a very heart-wrenching movie where it's talking about how they're trying to rescue kids from being trafficked. Which, I don't know how this... Pay I suppose we could... We do know why it became political. But it is disappointing that... I, I don't... I can't think of a single reason why... Why couldn't all Americans get behind this and say, hey, this is something that every person with a soul should care about. Everyone with you know, a modicum of morality or intelligence... Like, who could be against this message of literally saving kids? But it quickly became political. It was called a conspiracy theory. And basically, people on the right and people in the middle cheered the movie on. And people on the left in the traditional Hollywood, like the mainstream media, they all said the movie was you know, terrible, it was a conspiracy. And it's not too surprising that Netflix isn't going to host. Now, Netflix is also the movie that hosted a film or a series called Cuties in which they had underage girls perform adult acts such as gyrating twer and twerking to inappropriate music. Now, there's a little boycott to that movie, or to that thing. So, a lot of people, a fair amount of people did quit Netflix because they hosted that morally vacuous, disgusting thing. But it is fascinating that Netflix would rather have gyrating young girls on their platform than host a movie about saving those children from the most morally, some of the most morally vacuous humans on the planet performing those disgusting acts on the planet. So that kind of shows you Netflix priorities. I shouldn't be too shocked though, given their history. Interestingly enough, Rumble, one of the fastest growing streaming platforms, they have volunteered to actually have the movie hosted on their platform for streaming. Now, unfortunately, I don't know how much that'll increase the overall viewership or the audience because inherently Rumble is more politically on the right, kind of just by its very nature of being an alternative media because YouTube traditionally bans people overwhelmingly on the right. I've yet to see a single person on the, politically on the left side of the aisle actually get banned off 
YouTube. But so that just by, very, by its very nature, more people who are right-minded are going to be going to the alternative platforms. So it'll be good if they host the movie, but I don't think you're going to reach the, new, the wider audience that I think would be much more beneficial to have it on a major streaming platform. So that's kind of the downside of the current streaming services at the moment is that a lot of them are kind of broken down by political ideologies. So it'll be interesting to see, and hopefully the movie continues to have great success is one of the best box office hits of the year. And I wish him, wish him the best. Going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the Department of Justice suing SpaceX for not hiring refugees and obeying the law. Which, with our current political climate, climate and the government, I, I'm not too surprised at all, actually. So, Elon Musk is getting in trouble because he didn't hire, he didn't hire nine U.S. citizens. So, does that make any... Does that make any logic? Well, I was going to say, for some people, that makes a lot of sense. For some, I, a little bit more lower on the evolutionary ladder, so to say. Now, it's one of those things where SpaceX makes rockets, and they fall under ITAR. ITAR, specifically, is the International Traffic and Arms Regulations, and in the United States, it is a regulatory regime to restrict and control the export of defense and military-related technologies to safeguard the U.S. national security and further U.S. foreign policy objectives. Now, you see this if you're into the Second Amendment, so if you're an American, if you go to the sporting goods store, you'll actually see the sticker on some of these items, whether it be a night vision or a scope for a rifle, or even some magazines for a rifle. Again, there's no such... Clips are basically non-existent. Magazines are what people always refer to improperly, but it's one of those things where they'll say on the sticker, you cannot export this. You need special paperwork, and you have to make sure it's being shipped to a special to an authorized allied country so to say and part of working the dod and being a you know dod contractor and being working for the federal government and working in the defense industry is you have to have u.s citizenship partially for international security reasons and there's a lot of speculation why why go after elon musk after this and a lot of people just can't help but think it's politically motivated because he bought x.com or x or which used to be twitter and they used to censor a lot of conservatives, a lot of people on Twitter, as well as acquiesce to every, every ask of the government in terms of giving them all the vast amounts of data. And Elon's much more about the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights than his predecessors of the owners of the company. So a lot of people are speculating maybe that's why. He's also been warm to political folks such as DeSantis, as well as Vivek Ramaswamy. So there's a lot of speculation. He's probably politically motivated. But, because I can't think of because if you were to hire those people, he, he would get a lawsuit then. Because they're not privy to that knowledge. It's national security risk to the, have them working on those items. So it's one of those situations where, depending on your, it seems to be, depending on your political affiliation, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Now, hopefully times change, but of course I'm a little bit more skeptical than usual. But I always say, time shall tell. And we will see. Other interesting political news, you have California, the state, is suing to stop parents from outing trans kids to their parents. Now, I can't help but think a good, like a good telltale sign that someone is morally vacuous or just disgusting or evil is they want to hide secrets from parents. The school is not the parents, the parents are the parents, which used to be common sense. Nowadays, the government thinks they're in charge of your children. 
yet reason one billionth to get your kid out of public school, in my opinion. Now, this is coming from Politico.com, so the vernacular is what we'll to decipher it to logic. So they're saying from Sacramento, California, State Attorney General Rob Bonta filed a lawsuit Monday to stop a Southern California school district from outing transgender students to their parents, arguing that the policy violates the students' civil and constitutional rights and could cause them mental, emotional, psychological, and potentially physical harm. Now, if we deconstruct it or actually just send it through a translation machine of crazy to common sense, they want to hide secrets from the parents. So the kids are being, in many cases, pushed in different directions, both ideologically as well as sexually at the schools. They want to hide that from the parents. How are they not being charged as predators? Now, they go on to say, Bonita's suit against Chino Valley Unified School District is the latest, oh, wow, is the latest attempt by Democratic state officials to combat the recent adoption of such policies by conservative school boards. The outcome of the case could have bearings on other districts that have enacted similar rules in the last two months, including a bunch of school, Anderson High School. So you do have conservative schools or just people of common sense saying schools are not allowed to keep secrets from the, the parents. And if a student is doing something, is the parents right to know? Because again, it's the parent's child, not the school's child. So you have some places, and this is the, another thing. They're saying, quote, our message to, it's from uh, Mr. Bonita, or Bonta, quote, our message to Chino Valley United or Unified and all school districts in California is loud and clear. We will never stop fighting for the civil rights of LGBTQ plus students, quote. So he's evil because he forgot the I, which stands for, I don't, I don't remember, but I know sometimes they say the acronym with the I. So another thing, I don't, when it comes to the transgender debate, there's a lot of people in the gay community or the LG, yeah, the LG, the LG community, not LG the TV, LG the, the stuff, but they're pretty offended by this because a lot of these politicians are insinuating that it's all one category, which by its very nature, these are groups of different categories. And this specific Twitter account that actually is venomously against children being taken advantage of called Gays Against Groomers. And their whole political ideology or their philosophy is that you should not be transitioning their kids when, again, they can't consent because they're a child. We have no idea what the long-term effects of these drugs are. In many cases, they're permanently sterilizing children. And they find it morally vacuous, as many of us do. So that's an instance where, again, they're trying to say, I don't believe that whole community believes in these types of initiatives. And that Twitter handle, is a, that, Twitter handle that group is a good association. But this politician is trying to make it all seem like everyone's on the same um, ideology. When there's much more nuance to it, there's a lot of people that are against these things. Now, backers, this is even fascinating. So backers have characterized the policy as a parental rights issue. You got goddamn right. Now, but Bonita alleges that the school board is unlawfully discriminating against transgender and gender non-binary students. He goes on to say, quote, in discussing the policy before its passage, board members have made a number of statements describing students who are transgender or gender nonconforming as suffering from mental illness or perversion 
or being a threat to the integrity of the nation and the family, unquote. Which, suffering from perversion. I have yet to see that being used as a common vernacular with this subject or this issue, but I think a lot of people are on the side of the parents and how they should have rule over their kids because they are the ones who know them. They literally know what's best for the kids because they know the kids are their kids. So it'll be interesting to see if this gets passed. You have a lot of other countries who are moving very quickly. It's a very fluid issue. There's a lot of things, well, pun moderately intended, but it's hard to keep track of all these different policies in all different, all these different states and all these different countries because they are moving so quick. You wind back the clock a couple years ago, Europe was very much into the transitioning of kids, but upon further examination of the evidence, or lack of evidence, not knowing the long-term side effects, um, they actually stopped that practice. So contrary to popular belief, Europe is actually not um, going this route when it comes to the debate or of this particular topic. And it can help but think a lot of parents, and again, there are parents who also want to transition their kids. What I, it's one of those things where no one really knows what's going to happen long term. And a lot of people are too scared to talk about the negative side effects. So it'll be interesting to see what the voters choose in California. But I would think most people would agree that the parents have a right to know what their kid is saying at school, what the teachers are saying to the kids at school. And there are some schools where they actually put the kids on drugs that start the transition process. And the people who are, some, some say it's a pejorative term, um, I tend to agree in terms of the use case of it, but other people would also argue that teachers using different pronouns to the two students is setting them on the path to be physically transitioned later. So there's a lot more news, uh, nuance to this topic, but overall I think the final vote when it comes down to the, the public perception and legally what gets done, I think it's going to be an issue of who wants the parents to have the final say, who thinks the parents are right, who thinks the state is right, and who thinks it is appropriate to hide data from the parents. So I'm one of those people where I'm a free speech absolutist. You can't help but notice all the comments that are always open on my videos, with exceptions when YouTube actually censors it. I've gone back more than nine times now on the Bud Light video where I will change the video so it says allow all comments, but YouTube immediately disables it. So I'm one of those people where I think every topic, the more free speech, the better, because the more public debate, the more philosophical discussions, the best ideas will brew to the surface. So I don't think it's ever appropriate to have censorship, especially when you have the parents being in the, put in the dark by design. That, to me, I think that should scare the living hell out of every parent. And it'll be interesting to see what people vote for and how the initiative passes or maybe it gets pushed back. But I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have Texas passing a special registration for EVs. Now, this is actually starting September 1st, so right around the corner. EV owners must pay an initial registration fee of $400 and an annual fee of $200. Now, this is in, in addition to the annual Texas vehicle registration fee of $50.75 that most cars and trucks pay. The bill was previously approved by Texas in March in terms of the Texas Senate and approved in April by the House of Representatives and then signed into law by Texas Governor Greg Abbott in May. So, and then a lot of people are wondering, well, this isn't really, well, I always, people always say, well, that's not really fair because 
I mean, you bought an EV for because it's better for the environment. First of all, it's not. Depending on where you live, it's actually worse for the environment, depending on how you get your electricity. Also, those batteries are not very easily recyclable. They're quite volatile using a bunch of lithium. Also, just Google or go on the internet and ask, let's see a lithium mine. How does that look with all those chemicals and those kids mining it? But I partially digress. They actually are still using the road the same or more than gas engines. Now, an internal combustion engine, again, which will last a quarter of a century and a million miles, those benefit the state with the tax from the gasoline. Now, currently, the Texas gas tax is 20 cents per gallon, and the average driver is paying 900, or sorry, $9. I know inflation is bad. It's not that bad. $9.52 per month in state fuel taxes, according to the Texas Department of Transportation. So you're paying a gas tax, and also there's a federal tax on that, which it's kind of sad when you think of how many taxes you pay at the end of the day when we literally divorced Britain with the greatest revolution in history because they taxed tea. Nowadays, you have a 40% income tax from the feds, maybe another 10% from the state for your income tax, 8% for sales tax, gas tax, home property tax. It's astonishing. I always contend or tell people, if someone's to sit down and actually calculate all the taxes they're paying, they would just stop working, which some people do because it's it's a perverse incentive system in the United States. But another topic for another time. The reason they're saying EVs need to be have this special tax, basically, this registration fee, is because they're not paying that gas tax, but they're still using the roads. So right now, if you're using an internal combustion engine, every time you buy gasoline, that's every gallon that's 20 cents that goes to fixing the roads. You also have tolls and fees that also go into it as well. But the gas tax is also a big revenue maker for the states for those road initiatives. So not too surprised. A lot of people, there's a lot of speculation when EVs first started to be mass produced, how the government's going to react to it. At the end of the day, just unfortunately, no, you're going to be taxed to hell no matter what you do. So the same thing when it came to the internet and you had e-commerce, where in the very beginning, the good old days when the internet was the wild west, you can go, go online and buy a you know, pair of speakers or some new pedal covers for a three-speed manual transmission with all nice pedals. You can buy that and there's no sales tax on it because the government really doesn't know technology or the people passing laws don't know technology specifically and they were a little slow to the game. But once the government realized, oh wait, people are spending money on the internet? Well, we get almost like a mob. What's, our, what's gonna be our cut? How are we gonna wet our whistle, so to say? And of course, now pretty much every website has to charge sales taxes because the government wants their money. So I'm not too surprised this regist special registration caught up with the EV, them being registered. Now, it'll be interesting to see how much they increase it throughout the years depending on how much of a variable the gas tax is. But I would say time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have Trump's mugshot setting records for fundraising. Now, it looks like the day that his mugshot came out, he raised more money in that one day alone than the entire campaign, which is huge. So according to last Friday, the day, so last Friday, the day following his arrest in Georgia, Trump raised $4.18 million, which is astronomical. And that was the highest grossing day of his entire campaign, according to the source, uh, according to his campaign. And since he's raised that, so a couple days have passed, he's raised $7.1 million since he was booked for the mugshot. That is a lot of merchandise and donations. Now, it'll be interesting to see, though, how long do the donations increase or stay the same? Because a lot of people, again, we have 40-year hyperinflation, uncertainty with the economy. A lot of people are just struggling to get, you know, to get by. How long can people sustain the donations to them? And also, unlike his competitors, the government's, 
in terms of the political chessboard, they put, kind of put him in a little corner because his money isn't going towards online advertising or, you know, putting up flyers everywhere. It's also going to fight his legal cases. So his resources are being stolen, in, uh, some might say. So not only is his time and location geographically fixed at a lot of these court dates, but he's having to spend more and more money on all these legal fees. So it'll be interesting to see do the donations increase throughout the campaign and what kind of effect it's going to have on his overall campaign when, again, the resources are being put into legal fees and the odds are seemingly put against him. Also, it's just, there's a lot of merchandise, but it'll be interesting to see you know, what, what's going to be his next hit. The hat was huge. People love the hat. I feel like he needs a comeback or a different item for marketing. Something, something a little bit different that goes viral. Just from a marketing and business perspective, I feel like they got to do something a little bit more different from last time. It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Going on to the business blunder of the day, you have 3M on track for the largest mass tort in U.S. history. Now, 3M is one of the largest engineering companies on the planet. Not only do they make everything from sandpaper to spray paint, but they make even the most advanced hearing aid, or I was just say, perhaps not so advanced, hearing protection with the foam earplugs, safety glasses, respirators, gas masks. They're a very diverse company. Basically, if it takes a modicum of engineering talent to make it, they probably make it. Now, it looks like the agreement is for, they're nearing an agreement for $5.5 billion for over 300,000 U.S. veterans. Now, they allege, they allege that the company's earring uh, earplugs failed to protect them from hearing loss while serving in the U.S. military. Now, the 3M board of directors has not vetoed the proposal, and they have said that the earplugs work correctly when used properly. So I think that's going to be a difficult thing to prove in court how are you going to prove, how do you prove when they were on the battlefield, they were used properly? Do they document that? Do they have photo evidence of that? Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't pay out. I'm just wondering from a legal perspective, are they going to prove that? Or are they going to just pay it out to avoid the negative publicity? Because obviously, United States better than any other country actually respects and honors our veterans. It'll be interesting to see, does 3M just pay this off just to get rid of the negative publicity? Because a, a lot of these lawsuits can last years and that's not good for PR and legal resources. So it looks like they're on track to reach it. Will the board directors vote on it? That's another topic in and of itself. It'll be interesting to see which, where they go from there. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in again. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, so you can click that button. I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to leave a comment, like the video, the feedback is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe. Fight the good fight.